This podcast was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Blackbirds acknowledges and pays deepest respect to Elders past and present, and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening to this podcast. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. No offence, but... No offence, but you guys suck. Oh, no offence, sir. Like, no offence. Great Britain has now become Snowflake Central. No, 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 no. Oh my god. Look, no offence, but... Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blackbird's podcast, No Offence But, Season 4. My name is Aisha. I'm the Artistic Director of Blackbird's and the host of this podcast. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves, especially if you're in lockdown. Make sure you do one nice thing for yourself every day. Pre-lockdown, post-lockdown, during lockdown, every day. And it's NADOC week. This year's theme is Hill Country, which recognises the deep, interwoven relationship between First Nations peoples and country. Country is more than a place. It's family, kin, law, ceremony, traditions and language. Hill Country means recognition and protection of Indigenous sacred sites. It means listening to First Nations people. It means nurturing present and future First Nations leaders and celebrating those who have come before. It means sovereignty. It means land back. It means pay the rent. And this extends beyond NADOC week. For everyone who is non-Indigenous to this land and calls it home, every day we should be thinking about how we can be active allies, active listeners, and support the First Nations people of this land. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Yorta Yorta Jaja Wurrung Wiradjuri artist Neil Morris, aka Dreaming Now. Dreaming Now is a proud First Nations artist from the lands of Bialawaka, Red Gum Country, who uses hip-hop and experimental electronic elements to create decolonial content exploring Indigenous rights and culture. His songs Australia Does Not Exist, Indigenous Land, Ancestors, Survive and Get Back to the Land featuring Emily Waramara have become decolonial anthems. Dreaming Now is driven by aspirations of First Nations liberation and sovereignty and uses his music and public platform to push and advocate for a range of Indigenous rights campaigns relating to environmental and cultural rights and deaths in custody. The kōrero, or conversation, that you'll be hearing today is one that was truly nourishing, thought-provoking and very beautiful. Neil shares so generously about connection to country, feeling the strength of ancestors and elders, what evoked the creation of his song Indigenous Land, the importance and beauty of First Nations fashion design, and a whole lot more. I loved every single second, and I'm sure you will too. I'm here with Neil Morris, aka Dreaming Now. Hello, Neil. How are you? Hey, it's a pleasure to be here on, uh, you know, Gadigal country. I mm. just want to give my respect to that land. First and foremost, as, you know, I guess, uh, having grown up on Yorta Yorta country, also with connections up, you know, up around these kind of parts of the sacred landmass of so-called Australia. But, I mean, this um, physical lifetime of mine, I am a guest here and very grateful and it feels beautiful to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. Do you feel... Um do you feel protected here? Do you feel like your ancestors are with you? Oh, that's a um, that's a really multi-layered 
question definitely because obviously this is a place of you know some of the first colonial impacts mm. across the whole landmass of, of so-called Australia and you know I have this conversation quite frequently with various mob about how they feel being in this place and certainly I'm not just mob as well but you know other people who resonate with what it means in terms of like the enormity to the mm. context of so-called Australia when you come and set foot into this place that that's where you know the first shots were literally um which they were they were um made towards indigenous people on this land so for me I feel like there's a lot of trauma mm. in this place that just particularly as someone who's never lived here with that you know first impression kind of feeling it's always that for me that that trauma type energy that's just lingering mm. from the original colonial times that has not been properly healed in this place and it, it's really devastating and um i find it you know quite horrifying to be honest that that energy that's still in this land and needs to be addressed but um having said that there's there's definitely like powerful positive uh, indigenous energy that i get from this place as well and you know you look at the you know pre-colonial connections for mob throughout this part of country and it's definitely obviously a very sacred part of country that links up a lot of Biami's people mm. you know which that goes all the way to so-called Victoria goes into so-called Queensland as well and myself being someone who has a lot of lineages across Biami's nations I feel like there's so much power there that's like I've, I was going to say untapped it's not really untapped because like it's tapped and it's mm. there and it's still there but there's there's so much more there as well in these places across this land and there's so much healing that can be brought forth from that um tapped slash already tapped energy that's mm. here in this place so yeah definitely i feel you know the best of the best here but i also definitely feel you know there's the darkest of the dark here and we can't deny why that is so in this particular place and it has to be looked at straight ahead and discussed and people need to really begin to unpack that mm. uh, with with more of a sense of urgency than what they have been absolutely i know if the time isn't now when is it exactly terrible switching gears a tiny bit already when was the last time that you were offended that's a, um do you get offended easily could have been today oh <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> could have been i'm not sure if i was offended or not um you know because being offended i, I find is a really interesting thing in of itself mm. because particularly as an indigenous person like like I, I feel like i have reactions a lot that can be an offended type reaction and, and it's like very subliminal you know it's mm -hmm. very intrinsic to my identity i feel to you know react in certain ways and, and the more i go through life the more like i feel that I'm like it's okay sometimes to to feel that and it's not it's not necessarily actually offended it's it's kind of defending the you know the sacredness of our indigeneity on this land and what that actually means and that there's something that wants to stand for something that's inside of me that doesn't want indigenous culture indigenous people to die because mm. we can't mm. because we are vital to humanity human existence like what would the world be without indigenous people it would be nothing you know so for me when i 
I get offended, so called offended. Like I definitely feel like that's um, that's that that warrior energy, you know, that's thousands of years old. That it's not just me; it's my ancestors with me, mm. it's my elders with me through the experiences that I've had with them that have, mm. you know, catapulted this energy into me. So it's it's actually a beautiful thing, and it it probably happens frequently. I would say, you know, um, and it's it's challenging you know when you want to stand like as a sovereign person mm. in this land and you have such strong ideas around sovereignty and don't believe that taking a backward step is what you should ever do it's um it can set you up to be in a position of of where you can feel quite uncomfortable because of the responsibility that you're wanting to mm. take on i would definitely say that i have to be honest and say that 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 happens quite quite frequently but um, I guess I just try to, you know, honor what it is that, you know, it's actually a blessing to be able to feel that way, Absolutely. you know, as well. So I try to breathe through that, you know, yeah. and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, we're entitled to feel through those emotions too. But I, I suppose, you know, we feel those things more than what we would have pre-colonial times. Yeah. Um, so how do we balance that? You know, that's the million dollar question for so many um, you know, not only mob, but other, you know, black and brown peeps totally. and oppressed groups of people. Mm. How do you process those feelings? Are you someone who takes it on and then expresses it through your art or will you react then and there or is it a combination of both? Yeah, yeah, look, um, that's a great question. I feel like I've definitely done that with my art, like at least a couple of my songs that I've released are examples of that. Mm. Um my song Indigenous Land, mm. I was I was working in CBD in so-called Melbourne at the time. And, um, you know, like I'm such a, like I'm not a, like I, I say, like I'm not a city person, like who actually is. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I ended up working in this job in the office, just so happened to be in the CBD in Melbourne. And, you know, just just moving throughout the CBD for me just, looking at people and the way they move and their body language and everything for me it, it was just like like I felt offended by how people had a lack of awareness of mm -hmm. like the sacredness of this place that they're in you know it was like you know so many people just move throughout these cityscapes like it could be any place anywhere and like if it was anywhere else it would still be disrespectful as well but that's obviously a product of the environment that, you know, that, that environment is. But at the same time, I couldn't help but feel, you know, some type of offendedness from that lack of awareness. And so, yeah, I wrote a song and it was called Indigenous Land. Mm. And the first words of that song are, you're on Indigenous Land. Mm. Uh, which really, yeah, is, is how I, you know, that was exactly the words that I felt when I saw these people was you're on indigenous land you mm. know like you don't even realize that mm. so yeah it definitely comes out through my art um and you know that's the blessing of, of being somebody that uh, has creativity as an outlet to to really make that into something hopefully that is um empowering as well for other people mm. who feel those kinds of ways first and foremost and you know, transmuting is, I guess, the thing that I hope to use my art for to take a feeling that might not be 
the greatest and, and turn that into something really advantageous through mm. a piece of art. Absolutely. And Indigenous Land, I saw you perform at Fashion Week. How was that for you? That was a monumental, historic occasion. I couldn't stop crying. I think everyone was crying. It was so powerful. How did you feel? Was there a lot of pressure, did you feel, or did you feel supported in that moment? Yeah, I felt very supported, definitely, by the whole team, the First Nations fashion design team. They made me feel very welcome and a part of family, you know, mm. the whole way that they do things. It was a very family-orientated affair, you right. know, from the moment that I connected with them when I got up this way. And in terms of my role in it, you know, it was definitely different for me to be in the fashion space. Like, like I have to say, like, I really appreciate style like in a big way i had just not really invested a lot of energy <laughs> i don't feel like in in style you know but um but i appreciate what it means you know and what design means mm. for indigenous people and that design is like a very sacred integral central thing to our cultures like when you look at every facet of our culture there's amazing design like when you look at our shields and see the intricate design work in our shields, for example, like something such as a shield that mm. can have so much profound design. It just shows you straight up that like, hey, design is something that's incredibly important mm. to our people. So, you know, for me, really appreciating that and that, you know, there's, there's things that affect like how we move through the world due to the design that we have put in the country, like have Gradually background as well. We have scar trees with designs in them. It's mind-blowing. It's profound. Mm. So, you know, to come into this, I guess, like it's a contemporary term, right? Fashion, mm. to be involved in that space, it was, um, I guess it was brand new to me, mm. you know. But, um, but to, you know, and we're talking about representation and when we look at a so-called Australia, that's a de-rep... That's a, devaluing of the representation of indigeneity in our own land so there's symbolicism to something like this incredible fashion show that occurred that was a massive statement in terms of indigenous representation that that's actually like what we're really speaking about when we talk about um, decolonizing and getting back to the true essence of what it means to be on this land and to walk in a mm. in a rightful way like when we have indigenous representation in the most rightful way then that'll mean that indigenous sovereignty is um supported universally across this land so i felt like that show even though you know it might not be perceived by some people to mean that definitely for me i could feel the you know symbolic meaning of that Absolutely. and that in the symbolic meaning there's so much more real meaning to that as well you mm. know when you've got incredible dancers, song keepers, uh, and all these mob with their design work, the um, the union of that is, is still crucial to this day for our people. So it was incredible and beautiful. Mm. And mm. design is, is storytelling, you know? Mm -hmm. All the designs tell stories and yes. provide yeah. information. It's not mm. just, yeah, I think that all the time about my cultures too, like everything has a purpose. Yes. Everything yeah. has a purpose. And yes. And the fact that there's so much beauty within that purpose is just amazing. So, so we're very purpose. lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to add to that, like a couple of the designers were relatives of mine, oh, you know, wow. as well. Um, 
so that was just incredible, you know, and to understand like some of their processes were very connected to country mm. too, which was amazing. Mm. It's really great that more people hopefully now have that in their mind and can think of that, you know, they have now a point a point of reference at least to start with and maybe that's what's going to open some people's minds to some more information which is really one of the best things that we can hope for I guess and you were saying that you're Wiradjuri and Yorta Yorta and did you grow up on Yorta Yorta country? Yeah I grew up on Yorta Yorta country yeah mm. two hours north of Melbourne mm. I was born in a township by the name of Shepparton and I was raised um in the Shepparton area, which encompasses a town by the name of Maroopina as well, which I spent a good chunk of my upbringing. And, um, yeah, just so blessed to grow up on my people's country. And for those listening that, that aren't fully across the Yorta Yorta story, we were largely based on the Kamragunja mission up until the 1930s. And um, there were Yorta Yorta people involved in the day of mourning uh, marches that happened up here in, in Gadigal land. And um, that included William Cooper mm -hmm. and also Jack Patton, William Ferguson and Annie Marge Tucker. And upon them coming back to community, they then encouraged our mob to no longer submit to being forced to live on the mission, which at the time, you know, for our people to freely walk across country, they needed, you know, exemption certificates to like denounce their indigeneity to walk freely. So. It was such a powerful statement that, you know, our people were like, hey, you know, actually we're not going to continue to be subject to captivity. And they walked off the mission in 1939 and the majority of the people walked down to the Shepparton area about 70 kilometres away. And, um, you know, that included my grandparents, my great-great-grandmother who was the midwife on the mission at the time. And, um, you know, that's why I grew up. Mm. That's why I was born in that area as well so mm. it's really not lost on me and it's such a powerful and beautiful thing and you know to add to that our country is really special it's very devastated by farming practices western farming practices We've pretty much got 98 percent of vegetation has been removed from our country but um what we do have left is is very powerful Mm. I wanted to ask you about that because in the show that I'm doing at the moment, we're researching the destruction of sacred sites and it's quite traumatising actually researching all of it when you, when you see the names written down one after the other and it kind of is a never-ending thing. But I came across Lake Bolak and the Kuyang stone arrangement. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So it was moved it'd been there for thousands of years and a farmer moved it because he thought it was a fire hazard yeah yeah that was you know these things blow my mind you oh, know the, me too. like the um the audacity they, and like it, it raises questions on like two things like he proclaimed that he wasn't aware that it had a sacred significance which like a sad thing to say is that like a, a lot of people just aren't you know th their awareness is just not there the education mm. is just not there and you know growing up in a regional center and, and having moved back there which you know Shepparton is a conservative right-wing town which you know you've got an element of of left-leaning people and you know 
people that fall more to the center than the right but um but a hundred percent like we have things like that happening back on country and you know like back to that thing about getting offended like you really you do wonder how much people know or how much they don't know when these things keep going down but like the bottom line too is definitely is that you should know more if you're living on this land in this time and space when we know that like the future of humanity is actually on the brink and a large part of that reason why is destruction of landscape like it's such a basic concept and construct to understand that careful country is is actually vital and mm. farmers know this as well as anybody with the droughts and whatnot that they've went through but um i guess you know out of sight out of mind um amnesia is a big thing it's very convenient though isn't it <clears throat> because when i was reading that article the farmer was arguing that because you know the reporter was saying this is sacred why don't you know that and he said oh, i've lived here for so many years i know that i know that what this is but it was a fire hazard and we're doing the community a favor it just doesn't mm. quite mesh i feel like mm. there's such a big disconnect there and and i think he said something like it's on my land and i thought yeah. oh that's very interesting i missed that part of the narrative but but it's not yeah. surprising yeah yeah it's definitely not surprising that intergenerational concept of acquisition of of ownership it's um it's very startling mm -hmm. you know in a time when you start to think that people are growing out of it like granted we haven't grown out of it like we know we haven't grown out of that when you've got people such as a Pauline Hansen getting so much airtime still to this day and obviously like a right wing government that like to even just say like government yeah with in terms of the who is currently so-called I, I can't even yeah i know, you know. It's, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, it's just, too much yeah it's wild yeah on to brighter better yes. things let's talk about dreaming now where did dreaming now come from how did that project start project kind of I guess um you know I, I worked in you know uh I worked with my mom mm -hmm. for a number of years and part of that included uh, working on country uh, I did a lot of other amazing projects that I was blessed to be a part of that were around just getting more of our people out on the country and doing projects that were like geared around our own land management practices and protection of our sacred sites and like rejuvenating and regenerating our country and our language and just a lot of amazing beautiful projects like I was so blessed to be able to do that work and um you know before doing that work I had began to um like it depends on where I really start in the story but I'm, I'll try and start from the fact that like when I was like going to university mm -hmm. I was I was looking to do you know hip-hop back then and um I, I went away from it you know and part of why I went away from it was really you know I felt like I had work to do in mm -hmm. terms of my identity and in terms of I guess 
you know, spirituality, you know, as an Indigenous man. Mm-hmm. Like, what did it mean for me to move in this world as an Indigenous man with respect to the spirituality that I come from? And, um, you know, there was even, like, Christianity at points in, in my youth as well. And I think there was definitely, there was a, re- a reaction to that and feeling that that was a bit oppressive as well. And I was like, like, these things don't add up. Like, you know, the, you've got to believe this and this, otherwise you're going to go to hell. The biggest questions for me were, well, wait, what about our people, you know, who never had a chance to have the Bible and so on and so mm. forth. And I just couldn't get beyond that. And I was like, hang on, no, no, we obviously had something really powerful and profound that mm. was like, it was right. Like it was not demonic. Absolutely. And um, for me, that that was a big driver for me to go deep into you know, my own journey around connection to country and to unpack, you know, what Indigenous spirituality really should mean for me as an Indigenous person living in the now. And, um, you know, from one thing to the next, I ended up commencing my so-called professional music career in 2015, I guess you would say. And I began with loops. So I was like, I play guitar. Mm -hmm. So I was playing guitar based loops and I was singing um, in language. Mm. So through this whole period of doing these projects back home, I was very blessed to do a lot in the language space. And yeah, with my music, I was like, I wasn't ready. Like I had this inkling that I wanted to do hip hop still, yeah. but but I knew for sure I wanted to sing in language. So I started to do these sets that were basically improv music that had singing in language in it and the occasional freestyle hip hop. Um, and for me, like that way of constructing that set, it was about, you know, so often when I would have conversations with people about indigenous culture was this, indigenous culture was that, and that's even been, you know, indoctrinated into the way a lot of our own people speak is this whole, we were this, we were that, Mm. not what can we like, what are we you know what are we now like and what's still profound and powerful and connected to eighty thousand plus years Mm. of the now and so really that was part of my whole ethic in the way that i was doing this music through improv and singing in language it was like you know you could say like i go to the nt for culture or you could say you know indigenous culture is gone or whatever but for me like through doing that music and singing in language in particular that was about okay, well, this is this is us now. Mm. And us now, when I use this language, that's connected to the whole 80,000 plus totally. years of lineage that I have to this land. And um, yeah, so I was doing that thing for a couple of years, like 2015, 16, 17. And um, I guess, you know, it just came time to do a hip hop track, which, um, you know, there were a few factors around how that came together with, um, brother adrian eagle is a key collaborator mm-hmm. on that track as well and so i guess yeah really basically the dreaming now project was was taking that what i was already doing into this other avenue and i dropped australia does not exist the first track with that and i was like i didn't even have a plan of if i was going to release more with that like i knew i would keep doing music and with that same ethic behind it about that power of our people in the now and that ongoing connection, but um, it just turned out that there needed to be 
a Part B to Australia does not exist, which was effectively Indigenous land. Mm-hmm. That was that was like Part B to Australia does not exist. <laughs> really, like if if you could say such a thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's just gone from there. You know, the, there's just been more stories to tell, mm. and you know, it's been a beautiful thing to keep going deeper into that, and you know, growing into I guess my own. I guess, shoes in the own way that I can stand in a way that still brings, you know, for me in in coming to hip hop, I wanted to make sure that I still felt culturally grounded if I was going to do it. Mm. And, you know, when I, when I record a track, I want it to feel like my feet are connected to country. I want it to feel like ancestors are in my stomach, mm. you know, and I will redo takes just to make sure that you know, I've got certain things in there. And, you know, sometimes it's not to the to the regular ear, it might not be the best take. But I'll listen back to these takes and say, no, that's the take where I felt this or I felt that. That's not the take that, like, sounds like Triple J or Rotation play it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, um, FBI might. FBI will play it. <laughs> <laughs> FBI has. Much love to them. Um but, um, yeah, it's, it's about, like, you know, feeling that. And mm. it's about a transfer as well. The whole Dreaming Now project is about a transfer and giving people, like, a slice and a taste. Like, when they connect with my work, that like, that's, that's 80,000 years plus of Indigenous mm. culture right there that I'm conveying through me as an extension of that. And, you know, that comes through in our voice, that comes through in our hands when we mm. play instruments too, you know. When we do all of that, um, just in the same way that, or different but same, you know, when we make food, um, mm. you know, as Indigenous people, like what comes through in that mm. as well, or when you know talking about fashion earlier, like mm. in that design, what what is coming through? So you know, that's my version of doing that, and I guess it's you know it's grown into something more than just the music, you know, which I guess it it always was like. Um, you know, I saw my people when I was working in community feeling quite restricted in terms of how we could, I guess, get our messages out to find our liberation in this world and to have what we rightfully deserve as custodians of country. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw a lot of, um, not fear, but, you know, mob have to walk very carefully, you know, because there's so much risk of this, that and the third that could go down that's not going to work out in a mm. good way for our people. So if I could um, be an unfiltered voice for Mob mm. with my work and do it through, you know, music, which is something that for whatever reason gets a big platform in this world, I was like, cool, okay, I can I can do this mm. and maybe it'll have a good impact for, you know, first and foremost, my own community, mm. you know, but if it can you know, spread out to impact other mob and other Indigenous people, you know, ultimately, like, my work is for all Indigenous people across the whole world. Mm. I think that's really interesting what you were saying before about, you know, with your art that's happening now, that also encompasses everything that has happened because it's so true, you know, culture is not dormant. It's evolving and you can't put culture in a box. It just doesn't work. And I think that's an issue that people have they they don't understand people who are indigenous as part of contemporary society for some reason it's like they 
it's like this back 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 view and it doesn't make any sense because it's like well why aren't experiences in this day and age valid as well I find that very interesting there's a really good quote by someone who said something like that but I can't remember it but I think about that a lot you know Mm. culture evolves and grows and the way that we can express our culture now has changed because of what we have access to and the way that we can learn about it as well I just think it's so dangerous for people to think of it as dormant or done you know yeah, and I feel like it, it represents there's a there's a big sense of people not being able to find a sense of stillness enough to really have the gratitude to to soak up what's still around them. Mm. You know, so many people just for whatever reason they they're not able to tap into that. Mm. But if they could tap into that, they'll be like, wow, like it's so profound to live on this land where, mm. like, the fact that Indigenous people are still living. On this country with the genocidal strategy that was implemented and, and it still continues to this day it's it's such a profound thing you know so that's the thing i like to really you know speak with people about mm. is that's profound mm. so if you can understand how profound that is that gives you a gateway to understand how profoundly connected we must still be to everything that came before us as well. Mm, absolutely. That's, that's beautiful. Mm, so beautiful. It is. When you write, you write with such power and you share that, you know, through your live performance but also online, do you ever have moments where you think that you need to censor yourself, not necessarily because of what people might react to but because of the way that the things that you're talking about or standing up for will affect you and and your healing and your soul yeah definitely Mm. 100% um, every day Mm. yeah um, because you know the more we take on certain work the more that certain work might want us to do that work you know and it's deep it's actually really deep Um, and that that could be like a you know two hour podcast (laughs) talk you know and then some or you know a couple of days around a campfire yeah but um yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's it's always a dance, you know, in terms of how I express what I express. But, you know, I, I'd like to just honour that as well in terms of like that's that's actually a very special position to be in, to be able to just be here in the now on the behalf of our ancestors. Like they mm. they endured so much more than than what I have in my lived lifetime. So if the least I can do is try and be sensitive to understand how I can move in a way that gives a reasonable representation mm. to them and, and then a, you know, reasonable, I guess, you know, I, I don't see myself as, like, I'm not a go-to voice, you know, and I'd, I don't see that, like, we have these, like, go-to voices necessarily. Like, I believe every single Indigenous voice is... It's crucial, mm-hmm. you know, and it just so happens that for whatever reason, you know, music again, like for me, like, and, you know, there's obviously sports and there's these things, these certain things in Western society that get attention towards them and, and mean that these identities can be perceived in in a way that may or may not be accurately reflective of what their value is to communities. So for me, you know, if I can be a vessel that just helps elevate like more mob really that's that's more special to me like i don't have to 
keep existing. You know, Dreaming Now could become just a platform that, you know, it, I don't know, you know, maybe in 10 years' time, it's known not for me whatsoever. It could be known for something else entirely, mm. you know, mm. because of there's just so many other voices that, especially with our young people coming up, the next generation is really exciting. So um, to come back to your question, I guess, yeah, it's it's a very sensitive uh, dance always and, and that's thinking about all the ancestors that have gone. It's thinking about the young people to come uh, ahead in times to come who are already with us. You know, we have young, amazing leaders, uh, not even in the making, like, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds who are just incredible mm. humans. And if I can, like, at this point in my life, get behind them, it's so profound. And by being very, I guess, conscious of, of all the decisions that I make, it puts me in the best position to, to help my people be in a, a better position as well. And um, and that very much correlates back to our healing and the intergenerational healing that is required for Indigenous people. Mm. And intergenerational healing that indigenous people can be so central to having a role within as well mm. which is is definitely never lost on me you know that when you look at so-called australia we're looking at we're looking at a damaged soul that's so-called australia it's it's horrific mm. how lost so-called australia is the amount of healing that is required for so-called australia it's, you know, we could spend the next couple of decades just dedicating everyone's lives towards healing and we might not still have all the healing that we need to walk appropriately here on this Indigenous land. Mm. What does healing look like for you? You know, first and foremost, safety for Indigenous people is critical mm. and that it requires land back for Indigenous people where Indigenous people do not have the fear in the back of their minds or some kind of unsettled emotion or, or feeling looming and hovering over them about, you know, that something bad could go down mm. for them. That's out of their control and power. Um, our people have... A human right to be able to freely practice our culture peacefully and to not have that intervened upon and without land back there's still a constant ongoing risk of of unsafety to indigenous people um and that's that's on a physical level mm -hmm. that's on a spiritual level and emotional mm -hmm. like every single level it's it's unsafe that Indigenous people don't have land back for every single nation group and clan group across so-called Australia. And that means we're still largely refugees on our own land in a sense. Like, mm. that's how you can feel, you know, homeless mm. on your own land, mm. you know. So that's been a big thing for me in my life is, like, I, I resonate with immigrant populations, you know, because... Like, we're still refugees on our own lands, largely, um, particularly in the southeast, you know, which includes so-called Sydney, all the way down 
to so-called Victoria and and beyond. It's a big land mass of area where particularly there's there's a minimal land back to Indigenous people. So I feel like we need land back to every single group of Indigenous people, like ASAP, mm-hmm. like tomorrow. Yesterday. Like, it's not that hard. Like, if you can do tax write-offs for, you know, multi-billionaire mm-hmm. corporations, well, then you can, like, tomorrow, literally, every single Indigenous mob could get land back. Like, there's a way that that could happen. There's obviously people don't want that for a whole suite of reasons. And, um, you know, that's preventing that's preventing even healing that their own family members need mm. in the long run you know, including Scott Morrison and so mm. on. Like, they're, they're destroying the future of their own families by mm. delaying the healing that... I see that it's inevitable that we'll get there, but will we get there soon enough for humanity? Mm. That's that's the big question. Um, so that, first and foremost, you know, because once we have that... You know, Indigenous people are so beautiful already, you know. Mm. But imagine with that peace, that like a universal sense of peace from every single mob having land back across this whole land Mm. and what that could extend out to and the amazing things that you could do within that, like starting to really create robust and rigorous Indigenous governance systems that will 100% be, um, you know, there will be very inclusive models being put in place that will mean that it won't just be for mob you know but we got to have a sense of peace you know or a lot of mob you know that's how they feel and is they need that sense of peace first before they can be in a, a better position to to give more love but you know our people already give so much love and mm-hmm. are so kind and so generous and you know we're so sweet a lot of the time to mm-hmm. to those that are still trying to destroy us in order to um because that's our culture you know teaches us love to you know be the bigger person Mm. even when somebody wants to destroy you Mm. Mm. yeah it's important it's that safety like you were saying to feel grounded and that's a safety that your home can bring you you know and as people who are indigenous to a certain land that land is part of who you are so when you're displaced from it or you can't connect with it in the way that your body is yearning to it Mm. affects your whole your whole life it affects your mentality it affects your physical it affects everything absolutely it's Mm. it's putting our people out of balance like Mm. in every single regard of of what they are and who they are Mm. our people we feel it on a physical level yeah you know it's like it's literally like having broken bones every single day. Yeah. But it's broken in a different type of way. Yeah, that disconnect. Because, you know, in Māori culture, when we say our pepeha, which is our introduction, you say your your mountain, your river, um, your waka, all these things before you even say your name. Do you know what I mean? It's not about you as a person descend from these things. They make up who you are. So to have that removal is actually trauma Mm. Mm. 100% yeah Yeah. and I'm not saying like we can't we can't find a way to tap back into that because I believe 
strongly in that because I've experienced it mm. myself. But um, but that's privilege, like mm. from you know male privilege or whatever else privilege. Mm. You know, other mob can connect into that too from mm. all walks of of our communities as well. But um, it's just about, I guess, where's the commitment? You know, from so-called Australia to really like when we talk about so-called reconciliation. Mm. Like, if people really, really want to see the proper transformation, it's like let us show you what that can be. Like, yeah, absolutely. You, you got to really let us like proper show you. Like, it's going to be deadly. Mm. You know, there's no doubt. Because, you know, we're already deadly. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> even as it is. <laughs> That's the tea. <laughs> okay, we're almost out of time. I just want to ask you one more question to finish. Mm. Do you have a recommendation for the listeners? Anything, reading, music, experience? You know, there's um, so many ways I could go with this. But, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is to really... You know, the biggest one of the biggest things for me is for people to to really properly have a respectful relationship with country mm-hmm. and traditional owners, mm. traditional custodians from a particular part of country mm. because that relationship can just take you so deep into to knowing how to walk the right way on this country. And again, I'll come back to like that the stillness I was talking about earlier. Like you can meet the traditional custodians of a country, but what I'm really talking about is like having that sense of like not just making a little bit of time to make the connection, but about to be guided by them in how you inhabit place on their country mm. and to really, you know, n- not put a, a finite amount of time mm. on what that's going to take. Like, you know that could take you years to de- to develop that relationship to a point where you start to walk the right way, and that's okay. Like if it if it takes a while, but the important thing is to to start the work as soon as possible and keep doing that work, and know that it's a lifetime's work, mm. and the work might not all be done by the time that this whole generation of humans living are gone. But if everyone's starting that work now then then we can truly get to where we need to on this land um in terms of you know people i'm going to say you know a particular name because i'm doing an event with them this week here on gadigal land but um you know Annie ronda dixon mm. is you know she lives here on this land so if there's people listening here from this land She's just, she's an incredible example of an Indigenous person in the now, in the way that she is, that I feel like there's so much to learn. And that's just from one incredible elder. But with every one incredible elder, there's so much more Mm. to connect to. Mm. And so to do that respectfully, to do it with grace, to do it with gratitude and gratefulness, it's it's a small step, but it's a big step Mm. for everyone when they understand what the enormity of that relationship is Mm, absolutely thank you so much for sharing thank you for your beautiful words and for your time it's been a pleasure 
My pleasure too. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, so lovely. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Oh my goodness, wow. Neil is a dream. Dreaming now is a dream, a force to be reckoned with. I think I might be speechless. I know you're going to want to know more about Dreaming Now, so I've put links to his Instagram and music in the show notes. Don't deprive yourself of his wonderful work. You already know he's an amazing artist. I hope this conversation provoked as many thoughts for you as it did for me. And if you liked this podcast, it would mean the sun and the moon and all the stars to me if you subscribed, shared it or sent it to a friend. I hope you have a wonderful week full of listening and learning. And don't forget to pay the rent. Bye.